Hello, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 99 of the Archaeologist Podcast, a show where we discuss everything and anything that has to do with Ark Survival Evolved. I'm your host, Sean D. Knight, and with me are a number of players that are here to offer their insights and opinions on the latest topics, strategies, and upcoming features or patches. As I called our participants for tonight to say hello to the listeners and how many hours you have in Ark. Rico. Howdy, y'all. Uh, it's whatever I said last week. I haven't really been playing any video games. <laughs> and leg day. Hey, uh, let's see. I have about as many hours in the game as it is degrees hot outside right now, which is 3,985. Whew, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of a scorcher there. It's a scorcher, all right. So uh, the next volume of the Extinction Chronicles has been unleashed with a new tech dial to tame and more explorer notes to find. Wildcard also addresses the electrical storms on Scorched Earth in this week's patch, and we are going to share some old Quetzal stories during our Arc Avenue segment. But before we get to all of that, let's set up the YouTube comments. Kibaniko Wolfboy writes, For the guy that made the comment about crossplay, understand this is the reason Sony has a problem now than before. Back then, yes, they didn't mind it. Now, for fast forward, PS4 comes out. They're seeing a success due to Microsoft and Nintendo's confusion on what the, their consoles are. Then all of a sudden, they are doing a 180 saying they wouldn't allow crossplay because it would take too much to develop or code in, uh, which is a lie because it is a line of code to do. That it would jeopardize the safety of their customers, which basically means only our stuff. When the next gen comes out, Sony going to feel the sting again because people are going to remember what they did. Uh, just so you know, the FDA is basically a joke because they think three and a half hours a day is a disorder, which like, which is like saying you binge Netflix for about the same amount of time, which could be a movie disorder. Three and, and a half hours? Yeah, three and a half hours. Is, oh, uh, trouble. Yep. <laughs> That was like a normal, that, that was a slow day in arc. <laughs> uh, which, uh, this is not the problem with gaming addiction when it's artificial inflation of time spent and wealth spent on the game, which arc has done or systems that either reward the player through leveling or some sort of purchasing. We all know this is true with both kibble and breeding systems that need to be reworked for more positive, healthy gameplay for both player sanity and health. Physical health, and he's talking about, of course, Ark Survival Vault. So there's yeah, a lot. I mean, the game is a freaking black hole for your life. Pretty much. But to go back to the crossplay comments real quickly, I I can see in a board meeting in some room of executives, they're like, okay, it's going to take you know, a hundred or two hundred man hours worth of programming to add this feature in, and how many, how much extra dollars is it going to bring into our little walled garden of a entertainment system? None. So why should we do it? But that's the thing. They're not the ones having to do the coding. It's the, the developers of their of their own games who have to do the coding to set up the crossplay. Well, Sony just the has fact, to open they, it up. They, well, the, all the, store, all the uh, systems have their own operating system. And before you can get the games to work together, you've got to get the operating system to be compatible mm -hmm. enough to work it, together. So It's a little bit of work. It, it, but it's just not... It's academic work. I don't think they... It's not like cracking a nut that hasn't been cracked before. It's just a matter of they just don't want to spend any effort on something that doesn't isn't going to necessarily help their bottom line. I think it would, by the way. I don't necessarily agree with that thought. But I could just see some executive thinking that. It, it would if they're able to offer a better product than their competitors, and that's the problem. I don't think they want to try and take that chance or risk of people playing with other people on other platforms and then figuring, hey, that platform sounds actually pretty cool. Maybe I should yeah, well, go check it out. Why is it people on PC are always kicking my butt? Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. People on PC don't have to pay to play online? What the hell is that? Yeah, that's probably Sorry, the root of the problem. My biggest gripe with console gaming is they force people to pay to play online. 
It's so stupid. Uh, I'll, yeah. give, uh, I'll, I'll give, I don't know the, about uh, Xbox, but uh, at least with the PlayStation, I'll give you a bunch of free crap on, on top of it. Yeah, I've and Microsoft so many, started uh, doing that as well. I've gotten so many uh, games that I actually wanted just because I play. Uh, I pay a few bucks to play with my some video games with my friends on, on the weekends. So mm-hmm. not but, that I actually have the time to play those games, but I do have them. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, though. The moment you stop paying for their uh, subscription service, you can't have you don't have access to those games. Yeah, well, you can access yeah, the game, probably. but not the multiplayer features. Oh, and the, the freebies that he's so. talking about. The freebies he's talking about. Yeah, those are off the table. Yeah. So I would say that whenever I play, pay for those platforms, I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. The thing is, I don't play those platforms enough to really justify it. Even so, I'm basically sinking money into a platform I hardly ever play online anyway. Mm-hmm. I look at it from the old perspective of when I used to, you know, back in the old days of video game rental, a 15 bucks a month for at least two games to check out and a couple, uh, maybe a couple dozen hours of multiplayer time with a couple of my friends. Eh, it's not that bad. I think yeah. they should offer a free alternative for, for multiplayer gaming, though. So maybe non-dedicated. Uh, yeah, a their... throttled one is what they would offer. Well, actually, no, there are so... any of the games that are essentially free to play on PlayStation are also free to go online with. You sure about that? That's good Only the ones that are free to play. I but I mean, don't like, think so. If you I just want to... Uh, one of my friends uh, had a brief moment where he couldn't pay for his uh, online subscription before one of us just... Uh, uh, you know, gave him all uh, the, the money because we wanted to play games with him. Um, and he was able to play, uh, it was Never Winter Nights, the PlayStation Edition with us, which mm-hmm. is free to play. So I looked yeah. into it afterwards and it turned out that at least, I mean, it could have changed since then. This was at least 11 months ago. No, that, then they've changed it because the last time I looked into it and did a report on it, that was not the case. You still had to pay for PSN even if you wanted to play a free-to-play game. Not, not to go too much further down this non-ARC related tangent, but <laughs> I I think that the thing that bothers me the most is, let's say you just want to play with your friend, your one friend. You both mm-hmm. need to have a subscription to do it. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to do my own little private server on my, my console here, and he's going to mm-hmm. connect to it. As far as I know. In fact, I, I, I don't need to tell you how out of the loop I am. I don't even know if modern Call of Duty releases allow any kind of LAN play. Like, maybe you could set up some kind of VPN to your buddy or something like that. Like I think it's that restrictive where it's like you want you want multiplayer then you gotta pay your money. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, couch co-op games these days that'll let you uh, play with your buddy on a LAN network. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Apex Predator writes: After a bit of a break from Ark, I decided to jump on an official aberration PVP map and have a bit of fun. After spawning a new character, I ninjaed my way about the easy parts of the map doing recons on enemy bases. I'd be on for a short time, then log off and hide in spots and not build or do anything to alert the server to my presence. To level clandestinely, I made hats and other stuff that I then destroyed to leave no trace. Later, I found a really good riot blueprint and realizing it was useless to me, I thought if I gave it to someone, it might buy some goodwill. So into global, I broke my silence and asked what the situation was with the alpha tribes and any enforced rules. Imagine my horror when the reply came back, this is a PvE server. (laughs) 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 All that time to use our PvE. (laughs) It is amazing how uh, you'll see people join a PvP server thinking it's a PvE server. It's like, no, dude. You're going to die. Yep. Oh, all right. Uh, Next Generation Gaming comes back with another wall of China. I'm thinking we need to call him Drake Manders 2.0 or something. 
Rico made a comment last week, but I was on vacation. For PvE versus PvP, yes, PvE is actually more toxic. There's a whole lot of things you can do to someone like Foundation spamming around the base so they can't expand, killing things there in the middle of taming, luring Gigas and Titans to the base, etc. And there's very little you can do back to them. Anything you can do involving placing structures such as Foundation spamming can be done with thatch or wood because the other person can't break it due to it being PvE. There's very little consequence to your actions on the service, which brings out the absolute worst in people. In PvP, however, anything you do to someone can result in all an all-out war. As Rigo has stated, politics matter, but in PvE, they don't. You can be a nasty jerk to anyone with very little consequences. They need a middle ground. Like I said, PvE is filled with passive aggressors, and they tend to be the most toxic people you can run into. Well, I mean, it's always more of a, I've never checked out a PvE server as... I don't know. It just, as much as I'm not a big fan of fighting, there are times you just want to go punch a person in the face, you know? Yep. Uh, well, so we asked for uh, Giga Stories, and he decided to share his and wrote, As for my own Giga Story, in case you guys are interested, so the first Giga I ever tamed was on Spartan's original server while still under their reign. I love that thing. I used it to do nothing more but power train. Kill him for XP, rot the meat for narcs for XP, then turn the hide into rats for more XP. Then two days go by after retaining it, and I go out on a meat run with it. I realize I forgot something at base. Still being within render distance, I decide to hop off the Giga and run back because Gigas are slow. When I ran back out to the Giga, it was gone. I knew it was on passive, so it couldn't have moved. I start freaking out. How do you lose something as massive as a Giga? I ask around on Reddit and I learn that Dino's vanishing was actually quite common, so I submit a ticket and give as much evidence as I can give, including pictures of my tribe log where I had used the Giga to clean the server up a bit, killing rats with it. Uh, they came back with a response saying that I don't have enough evidence to warrant spawning in something as powerful as a Giga. Uh. Mm -hmm. So about a week goes by and no, no, no ends up wiping Spartans, thus bringing an end to the beautiful state of the server the server was in spartans were the best alphas ever i take offense at that frozen throat was uh this was before transfers so no 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 was not the alpha so no 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 tells our tribe leader that if we wanted to tame another giga it had to be no higher than level eight which me and my tribe leader both knew was basically a giant middle finger to us then a few days later one of the no 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 members is trying to tame a level 48 giga three times he tranks it and then the server goes down for maintenance with no warning causing it to wake up after the third time, he says in global, hey, next, I know you wanted one, so you can have this giga. I give up. I take this as them going back on their previous statement, and I tame it. The next few weeks, I use that thing to farm as much meat as I ever could. I filled several brontos with nothing but narcs. I shot up from level 60 to level 80 in a week of just crafted narcotics. Once the giga reaches level 110, no, no, no comes back and starts demanding that we unclaim the giga and give it to them, claiming that we broke their previous rule. I stated that I was given permission to tame it and by who, and the guy who granted permission responded with, you broke the rules next, prepare for war. <laughs> <sighs> so they start charging, yeah. So they start charging the giga towards our base and having ridden the thing the most, I go to riot hours to go counter them. It's gone. I start saying in chat, where's the giga? Next thing I see is, your tribe member has been killed by your giga. I then say, why would you drive it off a cliff without knowing how to dismount properly like I do? And that tribe member apologized and said they would find the Giga. About 10 minutes later, we see a death message saying that No No No's Giga killed ours. So with No 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 having an unstoppable level 250 plus Giga and Quetzals with boxes around them so you can't shoot them, they easily wipe us. 
To this day, I wonder if we would have been wiped or not, if we had even tamed that first Giga or not. But no, 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 nature's no, 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 it's nature. I'm fairly certain it wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah, you would have gotten wiped. Yep. <laughs> but that that actually kind of reminded me, and I forgot it. Forgot this about the original war for the Spartan server that that was pre-transfer. Oh yeah, man, those were the days. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they really were. Because I mean, there was something about the the espionage aspect of getting set up without getting discovered. Yeah. Now, war for that server is probably the first arc battle I really paid attention to, and watched uh, on Twitch. Yeah, it was certainly uh, quite quite the spectacle. All right, let's move on to threads and tweets. Arteos wrote a thread or read a post writing, "Thousands of hours of my tribe's work gone due to my one-click mistake." Not a hate post, just a sad one. And essentially, what it was, they were merging into another tribe. So I kicked all the members out of the tribe and he was supposed to hit the merge button, but instead he accidentally clicked the join button and because he did that and nobody was in the tribe, all the structures and dinos essentially belonged to no one. Oh. So uh, mm-hmm. they tried to get into contact with Wildcard. Wildcard didn't respond to them or their ticket at any time and within a week or over a week, everything's pretty much decayed. The UI should not let them do this. There should not be an option. Oh, yeah. It should warn you and say that, hey, you can't, you cannot do this action because you still have these things in your name or something like that. But, but even then, joining another tribe should bring with you your dinos and whatever structures are in your name. It doesn't mean you have to merge. Th- this should, ugh. I got so ticked off when I read this because I've seen it happen before. It's a design flaw. It's one that needs to be fixed. I, it's I, not I a design mean, flaw. It, it it's happens. laziness. I can't, or I can't even, I mean, the times we'd have, uh, luckily it rarely happened uh, to more than a one or two person tribe when they'd merge into us. Mm. But somebody would forget to mention, you know, you gotta do it this way. If the system was intuitive, it should have recognized that, okay, there's nobody in this tribe, this is all this one player's stuff, it goes with them whether they join or merge with a tribe. It, It just doesn't make sense that that doesn't happen already at this point in this game's life cycle. And even then, why is there not even a prompt set up to warn a person that they're the last individual in the tribe and ask if the person really wants to join without any of their building dinos coming along with them? Well, I mean, how this many... way, there's not even a prompt when you uh, go to uh, accept an, uh, an invite. There's, there's literally just a few seconds of holding the button. Yeah. In how many cases would you ever want to do that? Would you ever want to abandon a whole bunch of crap? There might be exactly. some, but like, why? Why does it allow that? I don't know. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. It's so stupid. All right, uh, let's move on. So Valve has been banning uh, Steam accounts, and uh, up to now has banned, I think the total went up to around 90,000 Steam accounts over the past couple weeks, uh, making this the largest VAC wave ban in the platform's history. This started on Wednesday last week, I think it was, or the week before, and they've been doing it ever since. And uh, the VAC system watches over a number of games such as Counter or CS:GO, Dota 2, Call of Duty, and I didn't know this, but Ark Survival Evolved as well. Really? Yeah, according to uh, PC Games and one of the websites I tend to browse for information. So but typically, it's only as good as the signatures that are programmed right. into it. But the 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 gist of this that I'm getting from this is that if you're cheating in Ark Survival Evolve and the back band catches you, you're going to have that back band. 
it's not profile. just an arc band it's a vac band it's a vac band yep and I love it. Ouch. I love that this is finally a thing. It should have been a thing a while back. I remember, I don't even remember what episode I talked about this, but, you know, where I kept saying that Wildcard needs to coordinate with Steam so that people that they banned get that put on their profile as a scarlet red letter type deal. Yeah. People will go to their profile and say, oh, look, this guy was cheating in ARC and he got caught. I don't want him in my tribe. Now, I take it they're not really being public about the reason people are being banned, are they? No, they never are. A vac ban is a vac ban. It could be uh, it could be any number of uh, things. Um, there were a couple of games that used to give a, uh, that used to give a, a weird things where you'd end up be having a vac ban because of a violation of some weird tournament rule rather than an actual cheat. Mm-hmm. I don't think that happens anymore. But one of the reasons I kind of always question, I anytime I saw a vac ban on someone's. Uh, profile when they'd come on the server, I'd always ask them what it, uh, for the story because I wanted to wager what they tell me. Most people would just if it was just they if they got too defensive, I usually figured they were a cheater. If they just uh, started talking about the, this unfortunate thing that happened, it was a okay. Well, I'll watch them. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm glad, and I hope to see more people as they get banned have that little uh, red message on their profiles forever. Okay. Uh, moving on. There's a, a video, YouTube video, from Arcane on YouTube, and uh, it shows a an external slash internal turret build. It's a really interesting design because it's essentially built into the wall and placed in a pillar, on a pillar, and it's able to shoot outside internally, and it has a really great uh, line of sight. So you can't even run underneath it. It'll still shoot directly below it, and I think this is a really brilliant design for base defenses though of course if they're somehow able to destroy the turret they've automatically got a way in because the turrets only take like what one c4 and a heavy turret takes two yeah this is interesting um i wouldn't necessarily make this at an entrance though i think this is really good for a base design it's something i would Definitely want to try out for sure. Yeah. So my first question is going to be, how good is the line of sight on it? It's pretty much there's pretty much no blind spots. The only blind spot would be directly at the side of the wall that you see. Otherwise, the second you step out of, on that little sliver of wall, it'll start shooting. Yeah, I like this. Yeah, like I, I said, I, really I fantastic line of sight. And uh, he shows the line of sight in his video. New meta incoming. Maybe it's certainly a possibility. So. Uh, we'll have the link up to the video in the video description of this podcast on YouTube. We Unfortunately, because of uh, iTunes and those platforms, I really can't add the links. But for those of you interested in checking out the links for these stories, just go to the YouTube video, and it'll be in the video description of everything we cover. It's not a hatch frame. I think that's why I like it. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> set up in a door frame. So, yeah, it doesn't it does away with the hatch frames. Though somebody did uh, include hatch frames in a in their own design of this, um, I can't remember. Yeah, I think they posted it here. Oh yeah, in the video he actually demonstrates the line of sight. Yes, yeah. pretty so, tight. So um, uh, Gimli, son of Serial, posted up an image of his base utilizing that design, and it's pretty uh, pretty nasty looking. I gotta say, I don't think anybody would want to really spend time hitting this base. It's a cube. Um, the roof is filled with metal spikes, and then there's hat frames with turrets above the base as well. Nice for more turret coverage. I love it. They're all heavies too. They're all heavies. It's an insane build that is very formidable. 
So now it looks like he put uh, the old uh, poking through the window trick at the bottom, though. I don't know if that really works well anymore. Yeah, that it, it still works. It's just the line of sight is very, very small for it. It's very limited. So it's been a while since I've seen somebody do that with their turrets. That looks like a nice death trap. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it were me, the one modification I'd make those, I'd probably run those pillars all the way to the ground. They're kind of floating on the second floor for those of you not looking at the picture. <laughs> if right. you ran them all the way to the ground, it would, I mean, you completely block the lower turret, wouldn't you? Well, that's what yeah. I mean. I, I'm, I would probably come up with a different idea or just get rid of the lower turret altogether. Because he demonstrates that those guns do have line of sight down to the base of that wall. Only downside is you don't really have, I mean, it, it's a good, it, it's a good design for your storage room, basically. Yeah. Your, your dinosaur, you're not going to be able to protect many critters in, in that. You don't, you don't, you'd be uh, limited to small guns that could fit the dino gate. I was thinking more of a gun tower design using this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge base builder, so my uh, input on this is limited to going, hmm, when I'm attacking, how would, uh, uh, what would I think would be in there that might justify all of that? Yeah, yeah I'm kind so of it, in the same boat. And I, I, I'm at most, to bet, it'd be their bloodline eggs, which would mean it's definitely worth trying to get into. I'm, I'm willing to bet a pro arc attacker would look at it and say, oh, that's crap, here's why, and be able to tell the reasons I'm not thinking of right now. <laughs> I yeah, would probably. use it as a decoy base with a couple of personal items for fighting if I had to, if I had the chance to protect it. Otherwise, let people waste their time on it. All right, moving on. Zippin posted on Reddit saying, uh, "Small tribe servers are great success, but badly need to be monitored to maintain rules." Uh-huh. Preach it to the choir, man. Preach it to the choir. I, you know, I think I said I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or privately, but these are going to take a lot of policing, and I think there's oh, yeah. a lot of subjectivity. In terms of what constitutes tribes, you know, working together, you know, and I've, I've, the classic example I can think of, and I haven't played on these servers, so my knowledge and experience here is my opinion's pretty um, take it with a grain of salt. But if you have a six-man tribe as being absolute jerks to everybody, and everybody starts attacking that six-man tribe, is that collusion? I don't know. <laughs> True, and he writes. There's no denying that small tribe servers are crazy popular. The server we have played on since day one is still 70-70 during prime time, and it has been like this since launch. People love it. But without active admins that scout the servers once in a while to find things against the rules and punish these tribes, some tribes will just have a huge advantage. And it is almost impossible for the player base to spot some of these things. We made body bags in the start, and as soon as that became a rule not to have them, we killed them. Now we still see people everywhere using body bags, which is such a huge advantage when farming. So if you want to make these rules, make sure that you can also actively uphold them and not require 20 tickets or in general just relying on the player base actually finding these people who don't give two craps about the rules. Also, a lot of the servers we travel to to get some PvP going shows massive coalitions of Russians. There have been some where this wasn't the case, but last three servers we went to to have some PvP fun had this problem. You see boxes getting off and ch- going off in chat, your tribe name being mentioned, and then more boxes. A few moments later, you'll be fighting people on Griffin, sniping at you while fighting the base you are attacking. Just to take a quick example, last night we were on server 34. There's about 10 big tribes, as in bases being rather big for a six-man base, but every single one was Russian, and when we attacked one of them, we, in a short time span, had to fight three of them simultaneously. Our plan is to just go and record it, 
but it feels kind of lame that we have to go and spend resources, teams, etc. to record people playing against the rules for anything to happen. I don't have any problems with a bunch of Russians being neutral toward each other. We are being neutral to tribes as well, especially the ones we do trades with, but we would never come to their aid or vice versa have them come to our aid. Isn't trading against the rules, Sal? Uh, you know, I, I still say they were... The, if if trading against the rules, then there's no way to play this game that isn't just stabbing the other mean. guy in the face. They, they, <laughs> they put a rule in there that's almost unenforceable, and I wish they hadn't even had done it, to be honest. Either either hire more admins or police, or just get rid of that rule. I mean, it took them this long to supposedly have an enforcement team at all? It just it doesn't seem to be enough, or they don't have enough people to do it. And I understand, you know, concerns about costs and whatnot, but I have to think that you could probably get people doing this on the cheap if yeah. um, there was a lot of accountability so that when people abused their power, they had the uh, ability to see exactly what they did in the logs. I, I don't know. It's not an easy solution to this one, but don't don't put rules out there that are going to be impossible to enforce. Yeah. But well, that's, that's always welcome. a good idea. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on. Sinful Frisky. Posted up the next three notes that have been included in the new event. And here they are verbatim. Note four. I can't be certain when you'll find this sliver of thought. Perhaps it will be the first one that touches your mind or the last. Cause and effect I can follow through reason. But time itself, that takes concentration. Seconds, centuries, decades, hours, minutes. All these bleed together into a swirling torrent. It wasn't always this way. I know that. Once time passed for me as it did for you, but now I cannot be sure how long I have been waiting, only that it has felt eternal. The past, present, and future matter insofar as their effect on everything else, but for me, concepts, variables, not illusory, but not tangible either. How much LSD is this guy on? <laughs> okay, okay. There are two ways you can look at this. One, Bob Dylan wrote that. Take that what you will. Second option, that sounds like a transcendent mind. Mm-hmm. Which I've been going on for pretty much since we started the podcast that the art builders are likely digitally transcended humans. So he's an energy cloud or something commenting on Reddit that we're talking about here. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, a common energy being that's moved out of a fourth dimensional space, which is what we exist in. And I know people are going to think I'm wrong about that, but time is a dimension and we exist in it even if we have no control over it. <laughs> All right, here's uh, Explorer Note number five. I should explain, shouldn't I? I mentioned the future, but I should have said futures. You see, the universe, the whole of it, is all math eventually. Everything has a value that feeds into an equation. You, the stars, the trees you assaulted for bundles of thatch. Yes, I saw that. Very rude. But back to math. <laughs> the future's made of it too, or more specifically, probabilities. They twist and branch in all directions so tangled that most beings can't sort through them. I can't even see it all, but I can find the most likely threads and follow them along. After all, it's just math. I hope in post that, that you is, add the Dark Side is... of the Moon theme to the background of this one. <laughs> no, that is, that is definitely a the talk of a, of a computer transcendent mind. Um, it, it, uh, the whole being able to do anything, it, it goes with the theory that if you could if you could actually calculate the movement of every single particle in the universe, you'd be able to actually predict the future. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because at that point, of course, being able uh, to uh, to calculate the particle movements of everything 
is one of those um it i i think the the computer necessary to do that would be roughly the size of several galaxies oh i want to say like two years ago didn't they do some big experiment to prove that that was technically impossible well i mean it violates the uncertainty principle so well, well yeah so like i guess what i'm saying is there is an idea that randomness is really just cause and effect right you could predict every particle moving in every direction so theoretically you could predict the future if you had a big enough computer the yeah, the problem the is that the, the results change when you measure them, so... Yeah, yeah, it's basically they prove that, yeah, you really can't do it. There's some randomness involved, Well, so. the, the, the real theory is that we just don't understand quantum physics uh, enough to actually be able to do it. Well, there you have it. Your choices don't matter in life. Go for it. <laughs> but, no, that's, uh, there's a difference between relativism and moralism. Relativism uh, is everything is everything think of as a fix is arbitrary, uh, so you just have to sort of uh, run with it. Nihilism is it doesn't matter. Nihilism is stupid. Yellow. I got it. <laughs> got it. Yellow. All right. Uh, here's Explore Note number six. You'll want a moniker for me, won't you? Words and names are not explicitly necessary to process the world within oneself, but they are important when conveying it to others. I don't have one of those. Not as I am now. Not anymore. Others have found that problematic, so they say things like nameless, ethereal, and whatever. They describe my qualities, if poorly, but not who I am. As a being who possesses free will, or as much of it as one can truly possess within this universe, who I am is the sum of my actions. I am what I do, and what I do is wait. For you, for the earth, for everything, I wait. On and on and on into forever. I wait and I wait, so that is who I am. I am one who waits. So just out that of curiosity, is definitely the computer program pro that that is uh, that is running the Arc Network. <laughs> do we do we know who on the dev team actually is responsible for generating these Explorer notes? I don't know uh, who the writer is. Whoever it is is a big fan of, uh, of Bob Dylan and Acid. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not gonna uh, to knock either of those. I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan too. See, just so don't expect it to make sense. My theory is since we heard since we read the the first three Explorer notes uh, several podcast episodes again ago is uh, that this is Helena who became Homo Deus and, extend, and ascended. Uh, I mean, it's uh, the thing is, I don't think it matters who it was. It kind of does. I mean, we just killed Rockwell in Extinction. Well, here's the thing. I mean, there's a lot of things. Uh, most of our like emotional responses are hormonal. If you don't program in a facsimile of those, you're not going to keep them when you ascend. If you remove the emotions and all you are is your experiences, how different are you from anyone else? Because at that point, you're a computer program. How easy it is to remove any information or replace it with something else. So the fact that it's benevolent is either, yeah, it's someone who is benevolent and they've kept their emotions because they're programmed to have facsimiles of hormones, or the program's just benevolent. That's right. just how it works. You know, I'll and add then at which point it doesn't matter who it was. I love the idea that somebody who's like mathematically entwined with the universe and is one with everything still takes the time to write down their thoughts on papyrus. <laughs> that's that that's getting to me, by the way. I like okay, the the the, the ascended being is bothering to you know, th- this is not Stargate. They don't care about us. They have bigger things to worry about. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So, uh, Community Crunch 140 came out. This was to announce Extinction Chronicles 2, which is out on PC, Xbox, and PS4. And obviously, the Explorer Notes were part of that bundle. They also have the tech 
Stego. You can tame right now, and it's going to be available to tame even after the event is over. And then they will be bringing in a new tech dino for each month, according to their posts. You can also find their explorer notes and unlock the corrupted helmet and the... So I, I've i been away for the last week, but uh, I did see on Discord that we got one of these, and I'm super excited to check it out. <laughs> it, from the picture, it looks very cool, like the, the Tech Rex as well. There's also special colored dinos for the arcs, uh, which include which is uh, purple, black, gray, and dark blue. So you've got a week to find high-level dinos with the colors you want before that ends, too. We got a purdy one. We got a purdy one? How purdy is it? got a purdy one. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to go moving on to the patch notes because there's nothing much and more in the community crunch except for the patch notes. And that's version 281.107. They addressed a map exploit, though they didn't say what exploit that was. The center bosses now yield more element, 30, 83, and 184 for easy, medium, and hard, respectively. And then on Scorched Earth, Electric Storm only affects tech weapons, tech turrets, tech saddles, and tech shield generators. And then the Electric Storm duration was bumped up to eight minutes. That is a huge change. Oh, yes. That is a huge I was gonna say, change. That, that, that sounds like they just said that we're basically going to make this a proper EMP effect. Therefore, it will have no effect uh, effect on a lever action rifle. <laughs> they finally fixed it. But this was really to address the fact that they have Titans spawning on Scorched Earth now, which was insane with considering that uh, the electrical storms knocked everything out. So I just why, did, to... why, why does a sauropod spawn in a desert? That makes no sense. Yeah. I need to confirm this, though, because I read this and I wasn't sure if I quite believed what I was reading. Does this mean that generators are no longer impacted by electrical storms? Regular gens? Yes, supposedly. That's huge. That yeah. that that makes that... Holy... Yeah, I mean... According to uh, Walgard Chris, he said, yes, the only things that should get knocked out are those listed above, a.k.a. the tech stuff. Generally, tech tier weapons and the shield generator. Primitive weapons, guns, generators, clone-in, all of that should work during the storm now. Man, that would have changed some of our fights. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is only on PC. It's not on consoles yet. So, sorry, guys. You're going to keep but getting wiped on Scorch. It'll get there eventually, though. <laughs> yep. Um, they also include the Extinction Chronicles in the patch notes. Uh, increased player dino cap by level cap by one. Added the three new notes. Uh, added corrupted boots that are unlockable. Fixed corrupted helmet colorization. Then the tech stego, which is a new breeding line. We won't breed with a regular stego for obvious reasons. Uh, 5% chance to spawn. 20% higher base level colors. Be on the lookout for purple, black, blue, black, and gray dons for the next week event. Quick question, though, with the tech stego. Doesn't this undo the nerf that this dino got when they nerfed all the tanking dinos and the bullet soakers a few months back? Well, see, I don't know. And that was a question I wanted to ask some of our guys that have had some experience with these Stegos. I don't, because I know that when they started releasing the Tech Dinos, I saw a lot of salt on the uh, forums because people are saying like, oh, so all these great bloodlines of the non-Tech stuff are now irrelevant because Tech's taken over. I don't mm -hmm. really know if the Tech lines are really that much better if it matters or if well, it's they just get, like a cosmetic what, thing. Additional 20 levels higher in the wild to tame? That's a big yeah, difference. pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that got higher levels to tame back in the day was because you couldn't breed them. Mm -hmm. But these you can breed. You can breed the tech dinos. And like How do you 20... breed a robot? 
I, I, this is, I this question has been one I've asked since uh, since, uh, since nineteen eighty six when I first uh, saw Transformers. How do how do robots breed? That doesn't make sense. Look, Rico. All I know is that a lot of lubricant is involved. Okay, a whole well, lot of lubricant. Well, I mean, you saw Star Wars, and you saw what R two D two did to that station computer, right? It's basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he he seemed to have issues about getting consent. Yeah. This is <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh yeah i think an additional 20 levels into their stats pretty much negates the the nerf they got to their um health and ability to tank turrets i i'd have no they still haven't nerfed uh, didn't they still get a nerf how their um their bullet resistance though yeah they did get a nerf to the bullet resistance but they're still going to get a lot more uh, hp yeah, I mean, but the fact is, something if you have a uh, you know fifty percent resistance to uh, bullets, you can get away with a lot less HP. Yeah, true. Also, in the patch notes, riot shield can now be crafted from the fabricator, which I thought it could only mm-hmm. be crafted yeah. in the fabricator. Yeah, wait a minute. What am I missing there? Was that a? Uh, did that used to be on the? Uh, no, it was a fabricator. Yeah, I don't know what this patch note is supposed to mean. Uh, crop plots now correctly grow when out of range. I know there's been a lot of issues with uh, Plan X's not growing since the previous patch. So I'm hoping that this is correcting it. And then they added some admin commands. Rain dinos, rain danger, refill stats, give armor set, give weapon set. Wait, rain dinos? Rain dinos? What? Yep. <laughs> what was that one? I'm guessing it's like what they did on Survival of the Fittest where they would... Uh, Drop dino, certain dinos on the contestants' heads from out of the sky all of a sudden, and then clear my buffs. <laughs> I'm just picturing that in my head, and it's making me giggle. <laughs> it's rain, rain intrudons. Ah! Yeah, I turned that into a nightmare, didn't I? Ugh. I remember when we used to drop dilos on people's bases to test their bullets. <laughs> yes. All right. Well. It is now time for us to reach into the furthest corners of our mind and pull out some of our quixotic and quirky Quetzal stories as we fly down Arc Avenue. I'm going to need a thesaurus. (laughs) See, I'm actually really excited about this one because, I mean, one of my main roles in every war for the longest time, I was a a gunship pilot. That's what I did. Never got the chance. The, <laughs> so sad. I uh, we used the same Quetzal uh, gunship design that everyone had, uh, that everyone we ever encountered used, right up until the day they removed the, the the bullets from it. Now the week before we found out that they were going to be removing the turrets, I started working on a brand new design. Yep. I got to use it in a single fight, rather than doing the the classic you know three by three box on top of the back. I did it with a uh, basically with a, a wing pattern. And I was able to squeeze a few more guns, and in the end, I figured out that I, uh, with this design, I could get underneath of an enemy at about a forty-five degree angle and have every single gun firing at once. Bo was yeah. one of our other good gunship pilots, and he was flying one of our old gunship designs. We went toe to toe, and he had to back off because of how quickly. It changed the moment I got in position. And then two days later, my my guns all turned off, and I was very sad. <laughs> yeah, I still miss the war quetzals. Well, I should say, I did have a chance to pilot a bunch of uh, turret gun quetzals in the turret gun mm-hmm. uh, age. But uh, most, of the, most of those adventures ended badly. 
Yeah, the uh, the manned gun never particularly worked well. Although uh, I did try and integrate it in, I did successfully integrate it in that final uh, uh, gunship design. Although I ended up removing it because, frankly, it just wasn't useful. <laughs> I mean, they're they're really bad at hunting down people on the ground. They're good at shooting flyers. They're good at shooting ground dinos that are being ridden, but really bad at trying to shoot just a person running around. Yeah, but they're you sure know, a good um, indicator of where that person is because the turrets will lock on. No, I'm around. I'm saying uh, post uh, turret nerf. Oh, po yeah, yeah. If he just got like a manned, you know, gunner. Well, there was a speed quest which I. Do you remember, so uh, hey, Sean, Do you remember KFC and uh, I think they were the Wolfpack? Mm hmm. The uh, that, that incident, uh, I want to say it was uh, just after the war with uh, uh, PETA and uh, and them during the it was still during the the first Christmas event. Yeah, one of our allies should, uh... we were really close. We were really close at the time. Uh, just for background, was uh, a couple of um, actually I don't even know what nationality where they are. It was always fun to try and talk to them because I could barely understand them. Uh, but uh, Valley of the Wolves, they were they were good people. We really liked them. And I found out that uh, I, I got word that somebody was gonna uh, was that this people who are sort of our allies. So they helped us out in a couple fights. In sort of, we're gonna attack them and. I just remember telling uh, one per other person to uh, grab a quetz and then sending someone into their team speak to inform them that we were going to be landing a pair of war quetzes out in front of the uh, Valley of the Wolves ba base, and we still hadn't re-engaged <laughs> the uh, alliance that we had dropped during the war. Yep. You know, every time we re I have never to... seen a war force back off so quickly. <laughs> every time we talk about the legacy clusters, though, I think you ought to go and post and uh, insert some harp music for the flashback. <laughs> Yeah, there is that. <laughs> we we do have some videos of our in some of our aerial encounters. I do have one where uh, it was our first aerial encounter with uh, Bastardos during the war, where we took whatever few flying downs we had and the one war quetzal we had left, and suddenly we're engaged in the skies against them. That was a uh, quite oh yeah, that was a, that, that, that the their, their little base right across from Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. That battle was so chaotic. <laughs> it was amazing, but it was chaos. Yep. But uh, our Quest of War Quest of Bloodline was very old as well. I was the one who tamed the the progenitor of the Bloodline, and uh, nobody wanted to tame it. They, they they had finally knocked out a high level Quetzal, had some decent stats from what they could see. And uh, people really weren't wanting to tame it because it was really late at night. And when I saw that it was pretty much all black with some uh, purple neck or something like that, I said, "Okay, I'll purple I'll tame neck, this. purple wings, uh, with uh, a black body." Yeah. Um, I, I I know because like I was always searching for quetzals of that color after we moved on because <laughs> I I that's what our quetzals looked like to me. Yeah. So So I was the one who. You know, stay with it for I forget how many hours because once again, no kibble out at that time when the Quetzals came out, right? Um, the first few we tamed, we didn't, the, the, we hadn't figured out what the Quetzal was, uh, what the, the what it was, was yet. Right. And uh, because and because of some um, unfortunate uh, uh, incidents during uh, during the war, during transferring, because we were moving stuff between bases during the fights, mm -hmm. we did not have the appropriate um, kibble for it at the time. Yeah. But uh, we but got even with the really kill, it was still like a three-hour tame. Yeah, we got really lucky with the stats. It was fantastic, and it was just the base for our bloodline, which continued to this day. And I made sure to to keep the colors 
throughout most of the bloodline. And uh, I was so proud of that War Quetzal line. It may not have been the best on the entire network, but man, did they they worked hard for us. I I still remember the day that the uh, the day that ate uh, that uh, iceberg fell. Me, shovel, and uh, Sir hopping in our last War Quetzal, which was one of our oldest. Mm -hmm. Flying out of the base and blaring dangers on over our speakers. Yeah. <laughs> the, it, the the engagement lasted exactly 15 seconds before both of them were dead. <laughs> Five seconds after uh, that, I was fall uh, I was falling to the ground, and yep. 10 seconds later, I was swimming away from a pair of uh, spinos. I had a pair of spinos chasing me through the water off of uh, iceberg, and I I just made it up onto land and into our the one area where we sold gun turrets. Yep. <laughs> oh, I also called him and Calligan the Black. So for all of you Tolkien fans out there, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Then we got Wyverns, and all of a sudden it seemed like I shouldn't have called him that. Yeah, well, we didn't think they were going to give us fantasy uh, critters at first, so you know. yeah, that that did take us by surprise. But uh, and for the yeah. long, I mean, we some of us even referred to uh, the old war quetzals as dragons at times because <laughs> I mean that's how we used them. We brought them out to spit fire. Yep. Uh, then there was that one um, quetzal trog knocked out with his bare fist, and I was on our main map. They had gone off to another map where we were. Uh, working with some allies to help set up, and they came across a fairly high-level Quetzal, and it was Trog and Ulti by themselves. Somehow they found it. It was stuck flying into the in the snow biome, flying into a mountain like they sometimes do, and it didn't move. So Trog is there just punching it with his fist because they didn't have any uh, Trank arrows or anything like that. Uh, he did have a couple of uh, clubs at the time, but they broke, so all he had was his fist. And they managed to knock it out with his fists, and they kept it best down. Best team ever. Oh, best team ever. And they had to set up a bunch of uh, beds on the foundation because they were in the snow biome, so they were constantly dying to the cold and having to respawn and make sure the Quetzal didn't wake up. And they, uh, it was so insane what they had to go through to tame that Quetzal. Legendary that reminds me of... It, it unfortunately didn't get to be a legendary tame because uh, the theory fell. But we were uh, it was just as the grappling hooks came out, and we were gonna we wanted to try and uh, see see if we could grapple onto one and shoot it. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple of the guys tried and probably fell to their deaths. We're chasing this thing and it's trying to run away. And Trog, uh, I respawned on, uh, on uh, over to Trog. I wasn't actually involved up until that point. I just got there, grabbed two uh, grappling hooks so that I, I, I and crossbow so I could fire them separately, and just leapt off. I hit the thing and literally landed on the middle of its back and was just standing there. I didn't even need to be ho uh, hooked in at first. <laughs> then I uh, promptly, uh, you know, shot it and it bucked me off. I grappled back uh, onto it and was swinging around like a maniac and found out even if I wasn't getting bucked off every time it did, you know, the uh, attack animation, mm -hmm. there's no way I was going to be able to get a clean shot on that thing. I'm swinging around like a freaking, like I'm in a freaking tilt-a-whirl. And I just go fly, <laughs> I release the thing, go flying off and hook onto, back onto Trog's Quetzal and right back onto his back. I'm like, okay, so that plan failed. <laughs> uh, it was amazing the things we had to do to tame a Quetzal, but then we came up, you know, people designed the, the Quetzal catcher to tame him in midair, which made things a lot easier. Um, when people... they decided to, you know, uh, cooperate enough to actually not escape from them. Yeah. 
Of course, you really it's really difficult to do that now because uh, stamina drains on the quest hole even while it's uh, flying in place, which wasn't always the case, which I do miss. And then, of course, we started res or force spawning in the quest hole at Red Obelisk on the island map. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can do it on the other maps, but for the for those of you who play on the island, just what you want to do is fly around Red Obelisk, look for the Quetzal that spawns there, and just keep killing them, or kill it, go out of rendering distance of the area, come back, look for the next one, because it'll instantly respawn, and just keep doing that until you find the levels you want to tame. You know, and it's really too bad. You can even wait till you find, uh, find one of the right colors. Yeah. It's really too bad that there's not more excuses to actually tame once you got a good breeding program going. Yeah. yeah that I, well, I just kept taming because that was what I did. <laughs> Aside from the war quetzals, I miss speed quetzals. I love speed quetzals so much, and I would use them all the time in a fight. <sighs> oh yeah, the first time someone ever used a speed quetzal, and I, I tried to fly it, I I did not know. I was like, I'm in Tokyo Drift. What the hell? <laughs> I remember it was uh, me and Maniac, and uh, like, okay, we need to put a bunch of speed into a quetzal and see how this goes, and. Boy, did we love it. It was oh, love at first flight. And then they took that away from us. Yep, now we got Brontos in the sky. Ugh. Still, it makes me sad still that Quetzals are no longer fast anymore. I got some great videos of uh, speed Quetzals, though, that I like to watch every now and then. Just remember those good old days. And torture yourself. And torture myself. Ah, uh, Remember how... Uh, I was used, fighting from the back of a speed quetzal to call out the enemy's position, take a couple shots, and I was doing it with a wooden one by one built on my quetzal because I was pretty cheap. I was like, "Oh, they able to hit me with a rocket? Uh, fine, I'll, I they destroyed some wood. Oh no, God, it was it, so it, ghetto. It was very economical. I'll give it that. It was, <laughs> and so many of our enemies commented, "Say, what the hell is this? Why are you using wood?" Because oh, it works. It works. And I don't have to waste metal to replace it or fix it. Oh, God. I'm pretty sure I have a few videos of that in uh, the Starfleet War. I'm pretty sure somewhere. Okay. That was uh, our last war where we actually oh. could uh, could use speed, wasn't it? So yeah. I, I've said it a few times before, and this seems a good position to interject this same opinion one more time. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like the current meta in ARC. Where if you have a platform dino, regardless if it's a Quetzal or it's a you know a ground dino, of just building a one by one box in the back of it, mm -hmm. drives me crazy. It's such a missed opportunity, but it is what yeah. it is. I mean, that's I the mean, current state of it. We used to have uh, Quetzals with the little small bases on them, which was always fun to use. Or we had our meat Quetzals, meat running Quetzals, where they had a couple industrial cookers on them to cook prime meat along the way and all that. Ah, uh, the mobile meat factory. Yeah. Dan gave me such crap the first time I built that, and then I followed him around on a giga one day. Uh, one day, and suddenly we had, uh, we had, we had as uh, much as we normally uh, collect of cooked prime, and uh, as in oh, <laughs> a week of just normal, you know, piecemeal bringing the crap back. Yep. Uh. And I used our crappiest Quetzal for it too. <laughs> it lasted forever because we never brought it out during fights because it was worthless. Oh yeah. You know, I, I would dearly love to see the West War Quetzals come back now that their their speed is gone. I, I think War Quetzals should still be a thing. Yeah. You don't Maybe. see it. If you watch the, watch the big battles, you don't see Quetzals that often. 
Except if they're being used as a cockpit, so like a cockboat. But you just yeah, stupid. Yeah, though, exactly. You know that I, is a good point though. Without the ability to uh, you know, speed around, the whole removing of the turrets from them is not really as as important as it was. Yep. Now, I still use Quetzals when I can in a PvP fight, but it's more localized to strictly the base where I can quickly get them undercover so they don't get shot out of the sky. I tended to use them quite a bit on Scorched Earth when we had a Scorched Earth server to uh, take out raiders and grab their tank dinos when they were trying to soak our bullets because they'd be pretty yeah. close to the base. So I just grab the Quetzal, grab the driver, throw them off, grab the Stego, bring them back to the base and kill it there. And if they were stupid enough to grapple onto the Quetzal, well, the turrets would shred them to pieces as I flew back into the base. Now, I was I, always I, surprised how effective those things were in uh, uh, in combat, though. Oh, yeah. I got picked from a uh, Kraken uh, under the ice by a freaking uh, Quetzal once. <laughs> that was horrible. That's pretty awesome. Freaked me the hell out, man. You think you're you're under an ice wall? Uh, you're under an uh, you know you're under an ice shelf on a freaking kraken under the water and suddenly you're in midair and getting dropped onto their giga. Yep. Now, I do think that Quetzals need to be reworked so that they're more useful in PvP because I think there's a lot they could add or just bring back into the, the PvP meta for the most part. Especially in... Indeed. Um, at the very least, disrupting the enemy when they're trying to tank with stegos or trikes. Give Quetzals, you know, a little more speed so they can out fly and outpace these uh, tank dinos so they can grab them and just pull them out of position and throw the uh, enemy advance or even defenders advance out of whack. Yeah, there's a lot of things they could do small-wise to really add some tactics into Ark. Yeah. It just, they don't really do it. Nope. Alright, well then, on that sour note, it is time to close out episode 99 of the Archaeology Podcast. Thank you to our participants this week, and thank you for listening to us on YouTube and iTunes and Anchor and Spotify and Podbean. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, feel free to like and share this video and subscribe to the channel. You can also leave comments or questions for us in the comment section below. Goodbye and stay alive, survivors. Hello everyone, Sean D. Knight again. I just wanted to let you know that I've started up a new podcast that emphasizes on writing the book and my journey to become a self-published author. If you are interested in becoming a writer yourself or just love books in general, then check out the Knight Writer podcast and listen as I struggle to complete my first novel. We also have a Discord channel for aspiring authors and enthusiasts, which I will provide a link to. As always, thank you for listening to the Archaeologist podcast.